Welcome to Enterprise Radio, the signature show of the Enterprise Podcast Network, featuring some of the most prominent business professionals in the world today. And now your host, Eric Dye. This is Eric Dye, and once again, welcome to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network, the nation's first generation of knowledge professionals, some 30 million Americans who've earned a living through their education, intelligence, and expertise has reached or is nearing retirement age. For more than half, this feels like a life sentence to purgatory, according to the most scientific studies ever done on this generation. While many can't afford to, they have no interest in powering down their ambitions to play golf or pickleball, garden, cruise, or booze or dabble in hobbies for the rest of their days. Mr. Marquez Walton is a Peabody Award-winning journalist and business author, Fortune 100 management consultant, and chairman of the Center for Leadership Communication, a global executive education and communication enterprise with a focus on leadership and exceptional achievement at every stage of life. He is additionally founder and chairman of the Second Half Institute at the University of California, the nation's first university-based program to focus on personal leadership and career development in midlife and beyond. After years of research, he has a highly anticipated book coming out very soon called Unretired, How Highly Effective People Live Happily Ever After. And here to tell us more about the book is Mr. Mark Walton himself. And Mr. Walton, thanks for joining us here today. Good morning, Eric. Thanks so much. And a good morning to you, and you're more than welcome. Looking forward to hearing from you today. So if you would, for starters, tell us more about why you wrote the book and why this subject matter is so critical. You know, um, uh, people have been asking me, so why did I take the time to write this book? And it was about a two-and-a-half-year project. Um, like you, I'm a journalist, journalist at heart, and this is a very big story. Um most of the time a story falls into your lap or is breaking news. This is the kind of thing that's been bubbling up. Uh, I call it a seismic trend that's changing the map of life. It's been bubbling up for the past 25, 30 years. That is huge numbers of people who are not retiring even though they can afford to. So that's why my interest, and that's what the book is all about. And certainly glad to have you on to talk about this book and the topics around that as well. Now, the cover of your book states that unretirement, continuing to work in our late 60s and beyond, is a seismic trend that's changing the map of life. What do you mean by this, and where is the evidence to back that up? Yeah, the numbers come from, you know, where you go as a journalist. So you go to the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics and the Census Bureau, and what it shows, and most people are not aware of this, is that the percentage of Americans um, age 65 and older who are today unretired, that means they've continued working or they've tried retirement and then they changed their mind, has doubled since the late 1980s to a point where, and if you can envision this, uh, the number of 65-year-old unretired people today is equal to the populations of New York and Chicago combined. So that's a lot of folks and the term seismic is certainly appropriate. And what they're doing is redesigning our careers and lives, theirs and I think ours at the same time, and the numbers are growing all the time. Um, there's a story inside the story, which is what interested me, is that what the numbers show is that while there are millions of people who can't afford to retire, there are also millions of people who can afford to retire who just have no interest in doing so. And that's a big, big shift. And these people are, as you said earlier, uh, 
the first generation of knowledge professionals and workers, uh, people who are highly educated, who've earned a living through their education and expertise. So we're talking about business people and doctors and lawyers, psychologists, journalists, financial techs, people who work uh, with their minds and with the new information technology uh, to do increasingly complex work. And this is the driving force between these major numbers behind the seismic trend. Now, to be clear, the national labor force statistics indicate that people with college and advanced degrees who aren't working out of financial necessity are the driving force behind the new big unretirement trend. Is this accurate information, uh, if you would clarify? Yeah, it, it really is. And that's, you know, that's what got me into this. I mean, we've known for a long time that a lot of people can't afford retirement. What I just kind of stumbled on is the fact that a lot of people who can afford retirement just aren't interested in it. Um, So for the most part, this college graduate equation is that knowledge work, and look, knowledge work is working with your mind, working with your brain. So many of us do that. That's been the movement of the past 30, 40 years. Knowledge work, for the most part, requires and equates with having a college or advanced degree. And today, about half of the people over 65 who are working, who are unretired, are college graduates, whereas 35 years ago, that percentage was much, much smaller. And then to go along with that, um, another significant development is that half of the 65-plus-year-old college graduates who are working today are women. So that means the very nature and complexion of the 65-plus workforce is vastly different from what it was. That's, of course, a reflection of women entering the workforce, baby boom women entering the workforce and having the college education that men do. Certainly some helpful details and information right there. Thanks for that. Now, also, what are the characteristics of people who don't want to retire when they can't afford to? And what's motivating them to break with the status quo or, as you say in the book, to change the map of life? Yeah, well, to start with, for the most part, they're highly educated. Now, that doesn't mean everybody has a college and advanced degree who fits in this category. Um, there are you know, folks who, who are high school graduates who have become very successful as entrepreneurs and business people. Regardless, education I would put at the top of the list. And if you're listening for yourself to say, well, am I in this category? What I found in interviewing people, and I've interviewed lots of them, is that they tend to be very highly effective at what they do, at their work. Um, They're goal-oriented. They're curious, uh, easily bored, uh, often very competitive, and they're also generative. And I don't know if everybody knows what that word means, but what the psychologists mean when they use the word generative is that they're interested in making a contribution, uh, in, you know, paying it forward to future generations. And what motivates them, i found, is, is a continuing fascination with their work. They love their work, and they experience flow in it. And, Eric, I think probably you can relate to this. You know, this feeling of deep immersion when you pit yourself against the challenge, that's flow, um, which is often considered the highest level of, of human happiness. And the idea, they think the idea that they should give that up and adjust to a retirement lifestyle just because they've reached a certain age, they think is ridiculous. Again, we're visiting with Mr. Marcus S. Walton, the author of the new book, Unretired, How Highly Effective People Live Happily Ever After. And he's joined us here today 
on Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Now, continuing on, do you think it's possible for us as individuals to predict whether we'll personally be happy and satisfied in retirement? That's the first question. Or whether, if we're already retired, we may want to consider changing course and returning to work and become, as you call it, unretired. What's your thought on this? Well, I ask a question back to you. Um, what do you think about for yourself? Have you ever thought about retiring or not retiring? Have you given it any thought? I actually have given it thought, and I like the idea of continuing to work as long as I can. Yeah. I've, I've, <laughs> I've actually seen personally too many people that go into retirement and bottom out, and it certainly it just doesn't turn out so well. Yeah. Somebody ought to write a book about this, right? <laughs> I hear you on that, and I think someone has, and we do appreciate it. <laughs> and, you know, here's the thing that's fascinating. You know, you, you have to dig into the studies on this stuff, but there are what are called psychosocial research studies on adjustment to retirement. And uh, they, what they show is, the most definitive of them, is that more than half of people who try to retire fail at it. They flunk retirement. Um, so I think as people think about, you know, what's right for them, um, that can be a useful statistic. You're in good company if you're not somebody who's interested in retirement. Um, and the reasons are really clear. Um, and, you know, it's hard to see yourself in the future. People tend to look at retirement as though it's a continuation of, of life before, but it's a very different animal. Uh, and there are losses uh, a big one for most people who are highly effective, highly accomplished people is personal identity. I mean, without our work, we don't see ourselves as the person we used to be. And if you've spent decades becoming that person and now you're, I'll call it a has-been, that can be very painful. Um, you also lose a sense of daily structure. So I've lived in retirement communities and I, you know, I love everybody, but I notice that a lot of people don't know what day it is. And some of them like it at the beginning of retirement, and then a couple of months later, it drives them, them nuts. There's just no daily structure in most retirement lifestyles. The other thing that people lose is friends and social network. And, um, you know, you're told by all the retirement books and by the retirement industry that you can replace that, but you can't. Uh, if you work for 30, 40 years, a lot of your friends and your social network was built out of what you did. And they're no longer part of your life, so they can't be replaced in the same in the same way. So it's fairly predictable if you look at yourself. And I think if you read the book, in I've got 35, 40 profiles of people who have not retired. You may see yourself in them. They may not be exactly like you. They may not have the same careers, but you'll find similar characteristics. I think. Some really good feedback on that. I really do appreciate that and also most helpful. Now, you also say in the book that the more successful you are or have been in your career, especially financially, the more likely you are to feel like a failure in retirement. And this seems like the opposite of what you might expect, especially the financial aspect. So if you would, give me some examples and explain why this is so. Yeah, and it, it, uh, I want to say it came as a shock to me. Because I always had this image of, you know, if you make enough money, you're set. Um, but there's an irony to it. There's a twist to it. Sure, here's an example. Um, one of the guys I interviewed in the book was a fellow by the name of Robert De La Montagna, long name, very interesting guy. In his 30s, uh, Robert invented some of the earliest educational software and put it on a PC. 
and he built a company around that called Engineering Incorporated, which he, when he was in his 60s, sold to Kaplan Incorporated, which is the giant in education. He, so he retired a multimillionaire many times over, and he thought it was going to be great. He said, you know, the pressure will be gone. This will be wonderful. I can do whatever I want. It was a complete disaster, Eric. After a couple of months, all the money in the world didn't mean anything to him. And he had done everything he needed to do in order to, you know, to make all of that money. The fact that he had worked that hard made things even worse. So let me read you a short quote from, from Robert. He told me, quote, I liked winning. I liked the chase and the adventure of being in business and meeting people and having teams around me. But now in retirement, nothing interested me. I got involved in every aspect of running the house, which probably had been my wife's domain before that. I discovered I didn't like fixing things. I got no pleasure from doing yard work. It was like living in, these are his words, uh, in a self-imposed hell. Um, and he's just one example. So, you know, it contrary to the notion that money is going to fill the void when you retire, if you're somebody who's accomplished, if you're somebody who's worked at something you care about all your life, giving up the person you've become can be much more costly uh, than you can imagine. And the idea that, you know, he who retires or he or she who retires with the most toys wins uh, turns out to be absolutely a serious falsehood based on the research and all the interviews I've done. That is certainly one real-life example for sure. Now, also one organization you studied in your research was the Mayo Clinic in Rochester, Minnesota, which is widely considered the number one medical center in the United States, perhaps in the world. Why did you focus on the Mayo Clinic, and what does that have to do with unretirement trends? Okay, so this is a, is a, trade, a medical trade secret. Um, and I only found out because I know people at Mayo. Um, so Mayo has 4,500 physicians in Rochester, Minnesota. 10% of them, 450, are over the age of 65. And many of them are in their 70s, fewer in their 80s, and I spoke to them, and at least is one, at least one is over age 90. Um, and they're there because Mayo uh, recognizes the value of their experience. Uh, to you and me as patients, if we go there, to younger doctors, to medical students, because they have their own medical school. So I wanted to, to look at Mayo because that's an extraordinary uh, percentage, 10%, and, and puts them on the leading edge of organizations that you know recognize and appreciate the value of older knowledge workers. So we hear a lot about you know companies who are who pay lip service to the idea of being really interested in older workers and older professionals. Mayo is the real thing. I can tell you about a bunch of doctors there. I can tell you about if you have time and tell you about one in particular up to you. Sure thing. I'd like to hear more about that. So there's a guy named Ronald Peterson, Dr. Ronald Peterson. Um, first time I spoke to him, I knew he was 77 years old from his bio. Uh, but to listen to him on the phone, you'd think you were talking to, you know, maybe a brilliant 50-year-old. Um, Ron heads up the Alzheimer's Research Center at Mayo. So there's a certain irony in the fact that he's 77, and he's at the very tip-top of his business, of his field. Um, when he was in his 40s, he was the doctor who diagnosed Ronald Reagan with Alzheimer's. So this is how, far, how much experience he has. This is back in the days when Reagan was diagnosed, when, when treatment for the disease was in its infancy. Uh, now it's way, way ahead of where it was then. And one of the things that Ron told me, 
at age 77, which I thought was fascinating, was that, you know, that he personally is concerned about his own retirement at some point. Um, he's worried that, you know, without the work that he does, his own brain will slow down. Uh, so as an Alzheimer's expert uh, and somebody who's really keyed into how our brains operate, it's something he's planning to avoid as long as he can. And I think Mayo will probably let him as long as he's still functioning at a very high level. So that's the kind of a doctor you find at the Mayo Clinic who's over 65. Again, not what you necessarily think. They're brilliant, ahead of the curve, and a resource to everybody there. That feedback right there is golden. I really appreciate your fitting that in, and not only that, but remembering that example. That is really, really helpful. Now, your research also states there have been scientific breakthroughs in recent years establishing that despite what we've often been told, our brain power does not necessarily decline as we get older. Therefore, many of us are capable of continuing, perhaps even surpassing what we've achieved earlier in our careers. Where does this information come from, and can you explain it in plain language, those of us who are not a scientist or non-scientist? Yeah, and I had to have it explained to me many times, as you can imagine, because I'm not a scientist either. Um, but this, is, this has been emerging. This picture has been emerging over the past uh, 20 or 25 years um, in the fields of neuroscience and in neuro, something called neuropsychology. And it's, as you can imagine, it's a complete paradigm shift from what, what the experts used to think and therefore as, what, as a result of what we used to believe. So I'll give you as plain language as I can. One of the, uh, the neuroscientists I interviewed was uh, Michael Merzenek, who a lot of people may have heard of or the name may sound familiar because he's the guy who discovered the phenomenon that he later called brain plasticity, um, which essentially means that our brains are plastic. They used to be considered to be fixed, but he showed that that was not the case. Uh, our brains actually renovate themselves and in response to our experiences. So if we continue working, for example, and work our brains, our brains physically respond and rewire themselves to allow for even greater accomplishment. And part of the way they found this out is that they now have imaging technology that can actually look inside the brain as we're learning and as we're working. So this is just the opposite of what was believed not a long time ago. And what it means is that the older brain um, is not limited. You used to think the older brain was inferior to a younger brain. It turns out not to be so. It's, it's organized differently. It operates in a slightly different way. It may not move as quickly in absorbing new information as a younger brain, but it has capabilities. And you've probably found this for yourself as you get older. You tend to think that, well, that's a senior moment. Well, no, you just forgot the car keys. It's not a senior moment. Uh, by the same token, as you get older, you can do things that you couldn't do when you were younger, and you, you can do them more quickly and more ably. And this is the reality of what I call the unretired brain. So bottom line is, contrary to what used to be believed, uh, the fact that we're older and have experience means that we have brain powers or potentially have brain powers that we can use that a younger brain can't match. And I just find that astounding. And the perfect place to conclude here today. Mr. Walton, really do appreciate your taking a moment to be with us here today and for making the effort to write this book I think this is fantastic. Certainly 
is some really good information here today. And I've got a couple of questions before we wrap things up. First of all, where can people purchase your new book? And also, I understand that you and your colleagues provide seminars and other programs about unretirement and how to succeed at it through an organization called Second Half Institute that you established a number of years ago. If listeners wanted to know more about these programs or perhaps share their personal stories or comments about unretirement, where should they be in touch with you in these regards? Sure. And, and you know, we'd love to hear from from them. Um, The book is available uh, on Amazon, as are most books these days, and then also uh, available through your bookstore, uh, online, Barnes & Noble, everywhere. They used to say everywhere uh, fine books are sold. <laughs> as far as our programs are concerned, so the Second Half Institute uh, is a division of uh, the Center for Leadership Communication, which is our executive education organization I founded decades ago. Uh, and we're easy to find at www.secondhalfinstitute.com. You can find out about our programs there, both our executive programs and also our programs for the Second Half Institute itself, which relates to accomplished people at transition points in their lives. Uh, And uh, you can send us a note through that. I'd love to hear your stories. love to hear if you're interested in our programs, and we'll get back to you. And we certainly thank you for that. And listeners, you can draw your attention to the show notes of this broadcast to find all links mentioned as well for your convenience. Again, Mr. Walton, we thank you for joining us here today on Enterprise Radio. Certainly was our pleasure. Eric, a pleasure. Thank you for having me. And you're certainly more than welcome. Again, we've been speaking with Mr. Mark S. Walton, a Peabody Award-winning journalist and business author. His new book is Unretired, How Highly Effective People Live Happily Ever After. And for further details, Visit either Center for Leadership Communication.com or Second Half Institute.com. Again, these links can be found within the show notes of this broadcast. And again, this is Eric Dye, and you've been listening to Enterprise Radio, a part of EPN, the Enterprise Podcast Network. Tune into our live location as we are streaming live 24 7 around the world at epodcastnetwork.com forward slash live. You can also find our live stream on iTunes Radio and TuneIn Radio, as well as the TuneIn Radio app for your listening convenience. And as always, we thank you for your support and for tuning in. Thanks for listening to Enterprise Radio. To subscribe to more of our programming, visit epodcastnetwork.com. This is the ePodcast Network.